Hello, this is Gidon Rothstein, and this is Perak Bet of Sefer Eicha, Chapter 2 of the Book of Eicha. It is going to be a continuation or another take on the tragedy of the destruction. And whereas I think in Chapter 1 we had seen a lot of the focus was on the reaction of the other nations around them and their betrayal of them, here it would seem that much of the focus is going to be on our, on Hashem's reaction to us and our interaction with Hashem and Hashem's admi- administration of punishment to us and how we absorb that and experience that and react to that. So Pasuk Allah starts, Eicha ya'iv be'apo Hashem et batzion, hishlich mishamayim eretz tiferet Yisrael v'lo zachar hadam raglav b'yom apo. So each part of that has to be taken separately. Eicha ya'iv be'apo Hashem et batzion, the JPS English has, Alas, the Lord in His wrath has shamed fear Zion, has cast down from heaven to earth, Israel. He did not remember his footstool on his day of wrath. And his footstool, the JPS notes and Rashi notes, is a reference to the Beit HaMikdash. And so the, the sadness here is that Hashem, in His anger, has... Uh, cast us down from our great heights. So our great heights in a couple of ways. So one way is Mishamayim Aretz Rashi points notes or says that the tragedy, the destruction was sudden or at least in the Jews experience of it. It was sudden which is surprising because there were hundreds of years of Nevi'im warning that it was going to be coming and then there was a slow devolution of power and and of control of the Jews being lost to nations around them, and and that was really a reality of it. Nonetheless, the end was very sudden. That sense of suddenness is part of what they're upset about and complaining about, or saddened by in mourning. And then the, on the words Tiferet Yisrael, there's a Ramban in Breshit who notes that the words Tiferet Yisrael he suggests have to do with the fact that when you have a certain connection to God, so that becomes your chief eret. So when the Torah says, and I'm not embracing it in Devarim, when the Torah says, to give you, make you higher than all the other nations, so the Ramban first says, just in terms of that everyone will praise you when they see that Hashem is close to you. But then he says, in the Kabbalistic mystical way, the Tila means that, and that our connection to God in some way uplifts us over all the other nations. So, when Hashem is Mashtib Shemayim Eretz Tif Eretz Yisrael, it means the loss or the, the 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 loosening of our connection to Hashem, where Hashem's identification with us is metaphysically affects us as a nation and reduces our reduces our stature in the world, and that's part of what we're mourning right here. And then Hadom Raglav for the reference to the Beit Hamikdash, Rashi says Srafraf Magalatav a footstool, and it means the Beit Hamikdash like the JPS English had it. So that whole idea that the Beit HaMikdash was a footstool to Hashem was in, and it's a metaphor, it's an analogy, it doesn't mean there are literally legs, and Hashem literally put His legs on the Beit HaMikdash as a footstool, but it would mean something like uh, it's the lowest part of, of feeling a connection to Hashem or being present to Hashem, but it was nonetheless for the world the highest part of whatever we had, and we have lost that. So the first Pasuk starts us off on experiencing and understanding that the part of the Korban that we're talking about now and focusing now is the diminution of our relationship with Hashem and the disconnection in that Hashem's presence is no longer going to be nearly as felt because Hashem has gotten rid of even of the all we had was a footstool and we're not even going to have that. Pasuk bed bilah Hashem lo chamal or vilo chamal 
את כל נאות יעקב, הרס בעברתו מבצרי ביהודה, הגיע לארץ חילל ממלכה ושריה. I'm sorry. הרס בעברתו מבצרי ביהודה, הגיע לארץ חילל ממלכה ושריה. The Lord has laid waste without pity all the habitations of Yaakov. He has raised in his anger, his anger for Yudah's stronghold. He has brought low in dishonor the kingdom and its leaders. So, Beit Yaakov, I'm sorry, Nevoot Yaakov, Rashi points out, are all of the houses, all of our dwelling places. Higil Aretz is he lowered us to the ground. Chilam Amlecha, we used to be called, Rashi notes, Amlechet Kohanim. When the Torah was being given, being given out, Hashem says, we will be for him, will be a nation of priests, and by priests we mean having a special status in terms of bringing Hashem's awareness to the world, and now that's all being destroyed and all being gotten rid of. So here we're not complaining, we're not bemoaning, we're not bewailing, we're not mourning so much specifics of the troubles of hunger or famine or death as the loss of prestige, and prestige not in the sense of feeling good about ourselves or having uh, the privileges of, of wealth or the privileges of, of position, but rather the loss of our stature in terms of being connected to Hashem. It's as if Hashem held himself back. From protecting them. So, Gadabachariaf called Karen Yisrael as Hashem in blazing anger. He has cut down all the might of Israel. He has withdrawn his white, right hand in the presence of the foe. He has ravaged Jacob, Yaakov, like a flaming fire. So, it's A, Hashem is not protecting us. And worse than not protecting us, Hashem is also contributing to our destruction. And it's not so much the destruction, it's the Hashem part that's so sad. He pulls back his bow like an enemy, and he uses his right hand like a distress, like somebody who causes us distress, and he kills all of our machmadei and all of our precious ones to our eyes in Batzion, and pours out like wrath his fire. yeah, so the English says he bends his bow like an enemy, poises his right hand like a foe, slew all who he del- who delighted guy, he poured out his wrath like fire in the tent of Hartzion de Rach Kashto. Okay. Well, Rashi's just trying to explain why we use that metaphor. And Shafak Kesh Rashi says he poured out his anger, which is like fire, because he says you can't pour. Fire. So Shafach Kaish Kamato came and he poured like fire his anger. It means he poured his anger, which was like fire, according to Rashi. Pazuk Hey. Hayah Hashem Kioyev. Hashem became like an enemy to us. Bila Kol Arminoteha. Bila Israel Bila Kol Arminoteha. She hit me Tarav, Vayer, Vayuda, Taania, Vaonia. He was like an enemy to us. He swallowed us up. He swallowed up all our fair places, all of our great things. Destroyed our strongholds. Increased within Yehuda. Moaning, mourning, and moaning. Tania, 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 which is sadness or distress, of Yilala, and moaning, and crying, and being upset. Uh, which is a similar expression of the same thing. It's a repeat of it, so I don't want to be, I don't want to be myself too repetitive. I would only here want to point out, by your view, that Tania, Tania, that he made in the Jewish people, Tania, Tania, the question would be, what was the nature of that? Morning and morning, meaning if Hashem punishes us or Hashem does something to us, 
we can moan about the pain itself, or we can get at the underlying roots of it and be upset about that. It's not clear in the psukim which ones were happening. Is it things are getting destroyed, people are getting killed, and people are upset about that fact? Or the people are understanding from that fact, they need to be upset about other things. Not so clear in the Pasuk. So the English says, he has stripped his booth, meaning the Beit Dash, like a garden. He has destroyed his tabernacle again, the temple. The Lord has ended in Zion festival and Sabbath. In his raging anger, he has spurned king and priest. Uh, Rashi point throws in here in, uh, on talking about So Sukko, Rashi says, is Ma'onato, his resting place. And then Rashi says, He causes anger to be forgotten or to lessen. Albanav, on his children, by destroying the Beit HaMikdash. So this is a theme that you find in other Midrashim as well, in other Psukim, where Hashem pours out His anger on a building rather than on Avanim, rather than on us as a people. And there's sort of a measure of comfort in that, in that it could have been much worse for us if Hashem had administered to us as a people the punishments that we deserved, then it would have been worse for us. We would have been in greater trouble and therefore we have some modicum of gratitude for the way in which Hashem expressed His anger. Second point, on Shichit Mo'ado, you could have read it as, Mo'ado, you could have read as, um, as, as Mo'ed meaning times. So Rashi points out, so the English has it as tabernacle and it says literally the tent of meeting. So what does Mo'ed mean? So Rashi says, he means here the Beit Kotshei the inner Room of the Beit Hamikdash, Shashem Hayan Noad. That was where Hashem most fully appeared. Shneimar ve'Noadi lechasham. That I will appear to you there. So Rashi is understanding Moado as being the place. So a Moed then is not a time. A Moed is an, a time of meeting, a place, a, a time of appointment. So Noaditi. I think they're very related terms. But we get Moed to mean fixed times of the year. But what we really mean by a Moed is an Oel Moed. It's a place where Hashem is Noad there, appears there, and that's what a Moed is. It's an agreement to meet at a certain time. But it's the meeting part of it that's important. That reminds us that the point of holidays was supposed to be and is supposed to be times when we have a greater connection and a greater interaction with Hashem than usual. And then the reference to Melech Kohen, Rashi says, is talking about Sitkiah, the two people, the rulers at that time, Sitkiah and Sreyahu, were the ones who were going to be the leaders of of being spurned by Hashem. So again, it's the loss of, here, all of it is the loss of the institutions that made us special and of the forms of interaction with Hashem that gave us some of our specialness to people and we're being, and we're losing it, we're being, having it be destroyed and having it be taken away from us by virtue of all the things that are going on in this scorpion and this destruction. Pasuk Zayin, Zanach Hashem Mizbecho, Nier Mikdasho, Hizgir Biyad Oyev, Chomot Arminotea, Kol Natnuvet Hashem Kiyom Moed. Hashem has rejected his altar, disdained his sanctuary, handed over to the foe the walls of its citadels, and they raised a shout in the house of the Lord as on a holiday, on a festival day. So Kiyom Moed, Rashi says, in, in, in those times they would be happy about it, and they would shout Bekol Ram. So in the same exact way, when the enemies managed to conquer us, they shouted it that way. But the point, I think, of that comparison is that part of a tragedy should be not only the tragedy itself, but the comparison to what was and what might have been had things handled be handled differently. So it's not just, oh, the enemy is beating us, and oh, we're upset about that because the enemy is beating us. It's, and 
in the enemy destroying us and defeating us, they are acting out exactly what we should have been acting out had only we handled it differently, and that is what the height in our understanding of how tragic our events are. So Hashem decided to destroy the walls of Zion. He drew a line. He measured with a line. He refrained not. So it's interesting. Because so Natakav, I think, means drew a line, literally. And I think, the, and I would have thought the way to understand that would be he made his plans. Oh, I'm sorry. And that's exactly where the English has it. Yes, I apologize. Refrain not from bringing destruction. He's made wool and rampart to mourn. And together, then language, Yachtav, um, lalu. So, Chishav Hashem, Hashem planned it. Chashav Hashem. Rashi says, It was a long time coming. It's not, so that's in contrast to the earlier Rashi, where he said it happened suddenly. From our experience of it, it happened suddenly, but Hashem was planning it for a while. And if you read Tanakh, you understand that Hashem was planning it for a while. And then you also understand that the fact that the people at the time would take it as sudden is worth paying attention to, because it wasn't sudden. Hashem had planned it for a long time and warned of it for a long time. And then Natakav, Rashi says, so we said Natakav really means made plans, but Natakav also literally means drew a line. Rashi says that line is Shel Mishpat, Lipara al Avonenu, to to pay us back for our sins. Hashem drew a line. So Natakav to make plans is the way to understand it, and it's a correct way to translate it. But Rashi pointing out well, there's an element of that, which is that Hashem actually drew a line, and the line is it was a plan, but the plan was at what point. Will I cease to, I meaning Hashem, will I cease to forgive and forget and forego their failures? There are many, many failures. So that's what the line was. The line was, well, when they go beyond here, it's going to be all over and I'm going to destroy the Ben Mikdash. Pasuk Tet, Tavu ba'aretz she'areha ibad v'shibar b'richeha malkah v'sarav ha'goyimin Torah gam nevi'ah lomatu chazon mei Hashem. Her gates have sunk to the ground. He has smashed her bars to bits. Her king and her leaders are in exile or among the nations. Instruction is no more, meaning there's no people teaching Torah so much, and her prophets to receive no vision from the Lord. I'll the last part of the post in a second, but you might have, when you read it originally, if you read it just casually, you might think, well, part of destruction is that you sort of destroy things, you knock them down, and then they get swallowed up in time, and they make archaeological digs about it because it gets covered over. But actually, this happened right then. That the gates of the Ben Amikdash, I mean, it's a Medrash Agadah, he says, it's a legend, it's a, not a legend, it's a, it's a less direct, a less ex- literalist reading of the Sukkim, but the Medrash Agadah says that the gates actually literally sunk into the ground, and the reason is, there's a f- well-known story before, um, when Shlomo Melech came to want to go into the Ben Amikdash, he says, Sushari Mashaychem, he has a whole discussion back and forth, with the gates that didn't want to open up because they were so with this, this, but they eventually opened up for the Aram. So Shushem and let Hashem come in. So because they showed that honor to Hashem opening up only uh when Hashem's gonna come in, Hashem's Torah is gonna to come in, the Aron Kodesh is gonna come in, because they did that, Rashi says, the Therefore no human being could control them, and that's why when the time for destruction came and the walls had been breached, Tavubaharat just sank right into the ground. So it's not they sank to the ground because the process of destruction always covers over that which has been destroyed. And then Raji quotes Rabutainu Amru, Masayidei David Hayu, they were the the handiwork of David, the Fihachloshalat Uyuvim. This connects to a tradition. There is a tradition that says that the reason that Hashem didn't allow David and Melech to 
build a Beit HaMikdash, there's a whole discussion of it, and in, I think in the Hamim it says that Hashem tells him he's a man of war, and therefore he can't do it, because it's a house of peace. One way to understand that would be, with even though David's wars were justified and good, and right and proper, the two experiences of killing and of Beit HaMikdash are so contradictory that Hashem, that it was unable, it was inappropriate for David to build it no matter what. You had to have somebody who would not fight wars during his life to do it. The other suggestion of Yudrashim is that no, it's the other way around. That David Amalek, by virtue of the wars that he fought, which were so proper and right, were, had built up such a merit in Shamayim that if he had built the Beit HaMikdash, then it would have been indestructible. And if it had been indestructible, we've already seen in this parak, that's danger. And the danger is, then if the Jews anger Hashem, there is no outlet for the wrath, as it were. There is no way to punish the Jews short of punishing them themselves, and that is dangerous and problematic, and therefore Hashem prevented David from building it. Along those lines, then, this Chazal would be saying that the gates that David did build could never be destroyed, and therefore they just sank into the ground. The other part of it was at the very end of the Pesach, says that there's no Torah, and Rashi says, there's nobody qualified to give a proper halachic psak. I get political about today and the availability of Psak, but we'll leave that for another time. We'll just stick with Tanakh right now. But I think I think that the context of the Pesach, especially when the next words are that the Nevi'im also don't get chazon from Hashem, they don't get visions from Hashem. The point is that one of the aspects of the destruction, of the exile, was the loss of guidance from those who are supposed to be guiding us, that we no longer knew what to do, we no longer had direct understanding of what we're supposed to do. That doesn't mean necessarily there weren't expectations of us. There were expectations of us. We just had much less of an easy time finding our way to them. So people often are offended by that or bothered by that. They say, well, Hashem, how can Hashem expect from us to know what to do if Hashem doesn't send us Nevi'im, Hashem doesn't send us people who can tell us what to do? So I would say that sometimes, here I think that's what the Pesach is saying, sometimes part of the punishment is that it's going to be harder to understand what to do. It doesn't mean that you're not expected to do it. It's just that part of the task will be then to A, figure out what to do. And you can do that by reading Chumash, by reading Navi, by following the oral tradition. There are things you can do that they, they don't need a specific level of guidance. It's certainly much better with that. It's things you can do and you can look for and you can search for. But that's what I would suggest and think the puzzle is implying. That part of the punishment is that we lose these avenues to understand what we should be doing or shouldn't be doing in life. And that doesn't change the expectations. It doesn't mean that, oh, so then whatever I do is okay as long as, I'm, as long as I'm sincere, which is what many, many people say. It doesn't mean that. The expectations are the same. Part of the expectations become that becomes now our responsibility and burden to search for the right way to do things without the chazon, without the visions from a prophet, or without the morei ra'ah that could have directed us as much as in exactly the right way. The elders of the Jewish people are going to sit on the ground and be silent, uh, and they put dirt on their on their heads as signs of mourning, and they put on sackcloth and they bury their heads in the ground. The I mean, literally, it means the the virgin, the maidens of Yerushalayim have also bowed their head to the ground in shame or embarrassment, whatever it is. So, sign of mourning, sign of the leadership itself also being all included in the mourning. And then Rashi tells the story that this is referring to, or Rashi tells the Midrash that this is referring to uh, the end of the Beit HaMikdash after it's all been destroyed. So, the opening of it was that Sitkiyahu wanted to rebel against Nebuchadnezzar, against the king of Babel. And he had made an oath to the king of Babel. And so before he 
So when he got conquered, the general or the king of Bavel, the Nebuchadnezzar of Zoradan, gathers the elders and he says to them, you know what, teach me some Torah. And they start learning Torah, and they're learning Torah, and he knows where he's getting to. And they get up to Nadarim, to promises. And he says, so, so the, he says to them, so what happens if somebody wants to violate one of these promises, they want to break one of these promises, they say, well, he can go to a Chacham, he can go to a, a scholar, and do Hatar. And Nadarim can get the, the Ned there to be wiped away under many circumstances, many situations. So he says to them, aha, so Tzitkiyahu, rebelling against the king of Bavel was not his own only. He had to come to you for Atar Zadarim and therefore he punishes them and he puts their heads on the ground and he punishes them whatever way he tortures them in punishment. So Rashi quotes it. It's an interesting measure Shagada, but to me it also suggests that part of what's going on here in Pasuk Yud according to this Chazal is that we shouldn't think that the only one who bore the responsibility for the event was Sitkiyahu, that he decided to rebel against the king of Bavel. But there was complicity on the parts of the peoples and that's a topic not only for Eicha, but something comes up in Eicha, of assigning responsibility, assigning blame for those who are complicit as opposed to those who are active. And when do you and when don't you? And that's all topic. Here, the the, the Pasuk and the Medrash Shagada are suggesting that the Ziknei Batz, the Ziknei Yerushalayim, the elders of the Jewish people, bore some complicity because they cooperated in it. And that whole question of when do you cooperate, when do you not, is an important one to think about in this context and others as well. My eyes are almost, are spent with tears. I've cried so much that I don't even have any tears. My insides are. So the English says, my heart is in tumult, my being melts away. For the destruction of my people. When, uh, an when, I'm sorry. As babes and sucklings languish in the squares of the city, meaning there's no food for them, and therefore they're just languishing there. They can't. They don't get any. Let me just go on for one second. They say, "Where's the food? Where's the grain? Where's the wine?" And they're starting to waste away. They're starting to languish in the in the like dead bodies in the streets of the city. Their life runs out in their mother's bosom. So these you'd better talking about that I don't have any tears left where this starts coming now back away for a little bit from the Hashem part of it into just the sufferings and the point and the easiest example of sufferings are the most tragic examples of sufferings or the most gut-wrenching examples of sufferings are when you see babies who we think of as being almost totally innocent if not totally innocent and they're suffering for what we do wrong as well. So I would just and we notice that it doesn't mean Hashem doesn't create that suffering or doesn't allow that suffering to happen. We create the suffering by our sins, but then we watch the consequences of it and we're horrified by it and we're upset about it. I would also note the word Chamar Maru, Chamar Maru Rashi says it's like if you ever put intestines into a fire, so they, they, that's what it means. They shrivel up and they get burned up and they collapse in on themselves. And that's what the word Chamar Maru means without the fire part of it. But my insides are like shriveling up inside of me because of all these things that I'm witnessing and that I see going on. What can I? So my the English says it's what can I take as witness? Right and ma'adam elach or liken to you o fair Yerushalayim ma'ashav elach or can I match with you to console you o fair maiden Zion for your ruin is vast as the sea mi yer palach who can heal you? So Rashi notes 
when something bad happens to people, it's when you know that your suffering is not out of the pale of human suffering. It's what people have suffered. So then it doesn't make it, it doesn't directly make it easier, but it does make it more bearable because there's a sense of this is what happens in the world sometimes and I'm suffering it and it's difficult and it's hard and it's painful, but it happens. But, but if there's no comparison to it, if it just happens and you don't have anything to compare it to, so that makes it all that much more difficult, and that is what is happening here. What we're saying here is that it's, that, that we have nothing to compare it to. It's just a, a tragedy that's incomparable, and that makes it all the harder to bear and to suffer through. Your prophets prophesied for you, delusion and folly. They didn't tell you your sins, to stop you, to turn your head around on you, to make you restore your fortune so you wouldn't uh, continue to do your sins. But, they prophesied to you oracles of delusion and deception. And this process is another huge challenge of the whole um, destruction thing, as it were, because if the prophets are prophesying Shav v'tafel, Rashi says, bahem ta'am, and they don't tell you what you're doing wrong, lo lo to tell you what you're doing wrong, which could have gotten you to turn around, and instead they tell you all of these false prophecies and delusion and deception, so where does the responsibility lie? The suffering is being spread among everybody. That would at least seem to imply that the people also bear some responsibility for that. They allowed themselves to be led astray by the false prophets, and there's some responsibility on us. Otherwise, it should have been only the prophets. Hashem should have taken those prophets, punished them, and let us then get real prophets who would uh, admonish us correctly and properly and appropriately. We would listen to them. We would change. So it seemed to be that uh, the, that it's not an excuse. The fact that most, even perhaps most of the prophets were false prophets. There were real prophets. And needing to pick those out and picking out the right messages and understanding who to follow and who not to follow, I think that it seems to me that that is something that is a responsibility of communities and individuals and that it's not an excuse to say, well, if the rabbi says something wrong or the navi says something wrong, whoever it is, is saying something that's incorrect in terms of what Hashem really wants, in terms of what the Torah and Chazal and, and Nevi'im tell us, then there's some level, some non-trivial level of personal responsibility to find the truth and to follow that rather than just finding whatever somebody of qualifications tells you. So where does that happen? Where is that not? That's an interesting question. So just taking a completely different realm, let's say kashrut supervision. So what qualify? Ooh, this is an OU tape. So let's assume the OU are good, valid, qualified kashrut supervisors. Does that mean, though, if I walk into any store and says, well, yes, we have rabbinic supervision, I can say, well, they have a rabbi, it must be okay. So I confess, sometimes I do think that. Right? There are certain kinds of establishments. Now, it, has, it should be a qualified rabbi. It should be a, a or, or organization like the OU. So if there's an OU store and I walk into it, I'm not going to spend a lot of time thinking about, is this food that kosher, that food kosher, whereas if I'm just on my own somewhere and I'm about to eat something and it doesn't have a particular supervision and I'm trying to think of whether it might be available, uh, acceptable or not, so if it's, let's say, raw apples, 
and I want to think about it's available or not, then I'm going to have to think it through on my own. But otherwise, I can rely on supervision. But there are supervisions that are inappropriate. So here, too, the same thing. Somebody tells you the right way to worship Hashem is to, and I'm not going to give examples because I don't want to offend anybody because maybe it's your way of worshiping Hashem. But let's say within the Jewish context, the right way to worship Hashem, here, let's pick a simple example. The right way to worship Hashem is not to bother to, to learn Torah. And obviously, anybody listening to this is already exempt from thinking that's what they follow, not to learn Torah. That's not what Judaism is about. Judaism is only about helping old ladies across the street. So to follow a rabbinic uh, perspective like that, or uh, or a prophetic perspective like that, would be wrong. Now, the Thanavi said, for now, I'm, a whole different discussion, whether well, the Nevi'im can sometimes uproot Torah, that's a different discussion. But in the general term, then that's not the supervision we can follow, that's not the leadership we can follow, and that's what this Pasuk was pointing out. Pasuk Tervav, Safku Alayach Kapayim Kol Ovrei Derech, Shareku Vayaniu Rosham Albat Yerushalayim Hazot Ha'ir Shiyamaru Kedila Yofi Masos Lechol Ha'aretz, the impact on people around, all the pastors wake, clap their hands at you, they hiss and wag their head at fair Yerushalayim. The JPS English says, these gestures were intended to warm off the calamity from the viewer. And that's what Rashi says as well. They would do these things to try to make sure, try to hope that this wouldn't happen. They would say, this is a city that was called perfect in beauty, joy of all the earth. So what was the one important element of it was the presence of the Beit HaMikdash. And that's an important thing to remember, that it wasn't the physical beauty of Yerushalayim. There was physical beauty in Yerushalayim, but that's not the, the, the beauty that we're upset about. What really created Yerushalayim's beauty was the presence of Hashem, the presence of the Shekhinah, as uh, physicalized, not that Hashem's presence was physicalized, but as given a physical expression in the Beit HaMikdash, that somebody could come there and really experience that direct relationship, that direct connection to Hashem. That was the Klila Yofi, and now they're all worrying about it and, and saddened by it. I would also, I don't know if it's true, but I would wonder whether taking actions to avoid it happening to you is a way of saying, I recognize this danger for myself and trying to learn a lesson from it, and therefore it would be not only a physical thing of, well, if I shake my head and I cluck, cluck, then I'm safe from it, but it might be that there's some reality to it, which is if I shake my head and I cluck, cluck, and I learn the appropriate lesson from watching that, then there may be a better chance that it won't happen to me. Because if the lesson was, if that person got it just because, whatever it is, that tragedy happened to that person, so to Yushalayim, if it only happened because they physically didn't take Truman Maiser, and so I start taking Truman Maiser, good. But it might be that I've supposed to listen broad lessons about Avodah Hashem, about serving God, and all things like that. Pasuk Tedzayin, Patsu Alayich P.M., uh, so they open their mouths against you. All your enemies jeer you. They hiss and gnash their teeth and cry. We ruined her. Ah, this is the day we hope for. We have lived to see it. They're very excited about it. Rashi just points out that in the acrostic we've switched the pay with the ayin. So some people would irreverently suggest that that means there was a, a mistake in it, but Chazal had already noticed that the Gemara in Sanhedrin says it's been reversed, which means that if it was reversed, it was reversed early on, I don't know if it's reversed at all, it might have been consciousness, so Chazal said, and they say it because it means to imply that the non-Jewish nations, the enemies, are are already doing what they're already speaking, what they haven't yet fully seen themselves, meaning they're all so anxious to do it. And that's an element of our lives and our international situation that came up in Paragal, is coming up again, that they were more than happy to watch us get destroyed, that we are an irritant in the eyes of the nations, which we shouldn't be. And we shouldn't be not because we're nice people, I don't mean that. We shouldn't be because the way the world works is that there's a God, 
and we are representatives of that God, and we've come to bring message about that God. And if other nations were to accept those messages, then we would all live in harmony. And the fact that we would take a small piece of land and make it ours and think of it as a special place and be special there without any great territorial uh, designs would be, rather than an irritant to the entire world, it would be just, that's the way the world works. Hashem gave, Hashem was given us the whole world, gave a small piece to that people, and that's the end of it. But that's not the way it works, and that's what Pasuk Tzayin is pointing out. Pasuk Tzayin, Asa Hashem asher zamam bitza imrateo asher tiva mimei kedem, harastu l'chamal v'yisamach alayich oyev, herim keren sarayich. The Lord has done what He purposed, He carried out the decree, He ordained long ago, what was the decree? The decree was, in the Torah it says, v'yasafti 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 that Hashem says, if you do the wrong things, I'm going to give you various and significant punishments. And that's what this person is saying. It's all happening. So it's all happening, meaning then it shouldn't theoretically be that much of a shock. It is what Hashem said. You know, it's like if, uh, you know, if the oven is hot and you say to a three-year-old or four-year-old or five-year-old, whatever it is, don't touch the oven, it's hot. And they are moving closer and closer. You say, don't touch the oven, it's hot. Don't touch the oven, it's hot. Touch the oven. And they touch it and they, they get burned and they say, oh, what happened? So he said, I told you it's not, I told you it's not, I told you it's not. So that's what the Pasuk is saying too. Hashem here is carrying out all of the things that Hashem had warned us would happen in the Torah and ever since. And a piece of that, that the other Pasuk is saying, is that we have enemies and the enemies are interested in, in partaking of it. That might be why we have enemies. That might be why Hashem gives them the internal desire to be enemies of ours because uh, it's part of the punishment. Pasuk Yitchet, Tz'ak Livam El Hashem, Chomad Batzion, Horidi, their heart cried out to the Lord, or that we should, or or call out to Hashem the the walls of Zion. Like a river, let your tears flow. day and night. You forgot the lach Don't stop. Don't give yourself no rest, but your eyes no rest, because this is a tragedy that needs to be continuingly and continuously mourned. So that's what Yirmiyahu was saying in Eicha. I think of it in our times in the sense of how many people are mourning Yerushalayim, even on Tisha B'Av, let alone other times of the year, how much, I've spoken about this on occasions, because I think it's really uh, interesting, how much do we feel the lack of B'nai in our lives? How much do we feel that our lives are bereft? Because that's what Yirmiyahu was saying. Cry day and night. How much does it really matter to us? I mean, it matters hugely. How much do we experience? How much it matters to us? I don't know that we experience it. So, Pesach Yitet, which became the source for, I think the source for Tikkun Chatzot, for not Tikkun Chatzot, for getting up at midnight and, and, and saying, it's not called Tikkun Chatzot, maybe it's called Tikkun Chatzot, for getting up at midnight and mourning the Beit HaMikdash. So, Pesach says, Yitet, Kumi Roni Valayla, Get up in the middle of the night and the head of Ashmurot. Rashi says, Ashmurot or Shteichelke Halayla. Shalayla Nechlekadash Loshat. So in the middle of the, the night, among the various splitting divisions of the night, get up and pour out your heart. Shifakat like water. Nochach Bnei Hashem. Sielav Kapayach. Al Nefesh Olalecha. Tufi Barana Virosh Kotzot. Lift your hands towards Hashem about the souls of your young ones who are starving from hunger at every street corner, or fate for hunger, at every street corner. So, it was true then, Kumi Roni Balayla, but it's, I think, it, but the custom was to make it true all throughout Jewish history, that as long as the Beit is destroyed, to be upset, and to mourn it, and to complain about it. And I would just notice the Gemara in Tamid, Lamid Ben, Lamid Ben, and carried over by the Rambam into Hilchot Tamid Torah, takes Kumi Roni Balayla to be referenced to studying Torah and learning 
uh, and learning Torah in the night and saying nighttime is a particularly special time to learn Torah. So that roni is supply some kind of a talking to Hashem or a singing to Hashem that will be merit worthy and therefore will be a way to get out of the tragedy. Look Hashem to whom you've done these things, women eat their own fruit, their newborn babes, the last priest and prophet are slain in the sanctuary of Hashem, and is, uh, so Rashi understands, so Rashi understands this Pesach as two parts, meaning the first part is we're complaining to Hashem, look what's going on, and there are people who do this, they'll just say, but the result has to be unjust, look at this, babies are suffering, how could it be? And Hashem says, how could it be? You people killed in the Beit HaMikdash, you killed Zechariah ben Yoyada, when he tries to stop, uh, Yoash from doing what he was supposed to do and making him an Avodah and they kill him in the Beit HaMikdash. In other words, people are very good at noticing the consequences of their actions and complaining about those and saying, look how harsh they are. And Hashem's response is, look what you did to bring it on. And that's a piece that sometimes is missing, but it's certainly crucial to the experience of Eicha. Prostrate in the streets, live both young and old. My maids and youth are fallen by the sword. People are getting killed. You slew them on your day of wrath. You slaughter without pity. It's just a uh, morning. Tikra kiyombo aid migurai misaviv. Loyabiyom of Hashem palit visarida shatipakti rebiti oivai chilam. You summoned as on a festival my neighbors from round about on the day of the wrath of the Lord. None survived or escaped. Those whom I bore and reared, my enemy has consumed. So now coming back to the destruction part of it, but key crucial parts of this destruction from the perspective of this Paragavecha were that it's all a function of our loss of relationship with Hashem. It's all a function of Hashem expressing the anger about which we have been warned, the punishment for our crimes we have been told would elicit these sins, and our failure to have avoided them and to have followed the right leadership and to have found the way to not be deserving of what now has come to pass and what Yermiyahu is warning. Have a great day.